Let's say a prayer together. Uh, Gracious God, we accept your invitation again, Lord, to be in your place here this morning. Lord, uh, where you are, where you've called us to be. God, uh, we ask that during this time that we can have, uh, have just a few moments to, uh, to truly reflect on who we are in you. And Lord, uh, if we might find ourselves far from you this, uh, this week, this morning, um, God, we ask that you take down whatever barriers uh, we put up in our hearts, that you just, uh, Lord, fill us uh, in this place. Place and that we can be honest with you and ourselves and each other. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so this morning we're going to talk just a, a little bit um, about being a phony. <laughs> the thing is, um, I think all of us, we, we don't like hearing phony stories. It's one of those things that when they come out in the news or we find out about somebody else and, and there's just a story where somebody's a phony, a hypocrite, or a liar, there are few things that, that grind on us more than being a phony. I mean, when, when we find out even something um, as, as, as small as like finding out that, that a reality TV show isn't quite as real, quote-unquote, is what, you know, we're led to believe. We're like outcry in the public, right? To, to say, well, how can they deceive us like that? And, and then 10 seconds later, it's a bit like, well, I guess, you know, what do we expect? People don't really live like that. A few years ago, do you remember uh, the balloon boy story where parents um, cried out for help because their, their boy, their son, was, was stuck in this weather balloon and it was like floating around at something like 30,000 feet and, and there was uh, planes flying over the head, you know, you got like satellites and helicopters looking for this thing. And, and then we found out that the boy wasn't actually in the balloon at all. It wasn't a, a tragic or sad story at all. We were deceived. And it's so quickly the public eye just shifts from, from concern and tragedy to, to I've been deceived, to, to you're a phony, a hypocrite, a liar. And the, the, the sweet irony behind it this morning is that I think if we're, if we're really honest with ourselves, it doesn't take long before each of us realize that at some level we're all phonies, hypocrites, and liars. Uh, maybe this rings true for, uh, for a few of you in the room or someone on stage, but let's say you have to be somewhere uh, like 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Let, it just could be anywhere, but uh, you want to be there, you're trying to be there, you're trying to get your family there, and it doesn't matter how early the morning starts. Even if it's like 6 a.m., the clock starts ticking down. All right, T-minus four hours to get myself there, to get the family uh, woken up, uh, something in their stomachs, and put pants on everyone, and put them in the car. This is like, these are the four things that we have to do this morning. And then uh, three hours, 59 minutes go by, and it's like, okay, everybody is awake, everybody has had something to eat, most people have pants on, and some of them are in the car. <laughs> and then walking in, you know, with like, the car ride is over, and it's, it's loud, and there's crying, and then there's the kids in the back that are also <laughs> making noise. <laughs> no, you, you get to church, and it's like, this is, this is my beautiful family, all of whom wear pants all the time. I don't know, I'm kind of stuck on that one, but, and it's like, if you would have seen me, right, if you would have seen, dropped in on my life 15 minutes ago and compared that to now, what would somebody say? <laughs> you're, you phony, hypocrite, I mean, deceiving, I'm, you're lying to me. 
The stakes raised, so you think about going to work tomorrow morning, going into the office where people look at you and they say, this is a guy who's got it figured out. This is a guy who knows what's going on. This is a guy who's confident and courageous. And you just wonder if they knew, if they knew who I was, who I really was, that I'm not as confident and, and, and capable and brave and courageous as everybody thinks I am, what would they call me? Would it be phony? Hypocrite, liar, something worse. She goes to class every day and she has a reputation for being the smartest person in the room all the time. And she has cultivated that reputation and worked extremely hard to make sure that everybody knows she's the smartest person in the room all the time. Except she wonders if they really found out that I'm not nearly as smart as everybody think I am, what, what would they call me? He stays at home with the kids, and he is just known for having a long fuse, slow to anger, <laughs> abounding in mercy, right? Just as patient as all get. He wonders, if they were to drop in on my life, if they were to drop in on my life, in my house, at the wrong time, maybe any time, what would they call me? Phony, hypocrite, liar, something worse. You see, none of us like to look out, you know, and to look at someone else and to find out they've been deceiving us, they've been, a, they've been a phony, a hypocrite, or a liar. But even worse, none of us want to look in the mirror and see a phony, a hypocrite, or a liar. And for our purposes of gathering here this morning, I submit to you that God does not want to look into our lives and into our hearts and also see a phony, hypocrite, or liar. And so he has some words for us this morning. First of all, I want to warn you, he's going to call us out, each and every one of us. You're not being singled out. We're all being singled out in a way. He's also going to provide some answers. And a second warning, it's not going to be easy. But, but I, I truly do believe that it is going to be worth it. Um, Jesus is going to drop in, is going to, is going to share these words for us to, to call us out and to give us some words of encouragement as well. And I, I want you to know that he saves some of his, some of his most cutting remarks, some of his, his sharpest language, some of his most abrasive words for phonies, for hypocrites, and for liars. This is the group, it seems like, time and time again, that he is almost like most harsh on. So let's go there. The words are going to be on the, the front of the flow sheet and uh, on the screen behind me. You can read along here. Starting off in uh, Luke chapter 11 and verse uh, 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. At that time, tables were maybe 18, 20 inches uh, off the ground, and you, you like laid by them as, a, as opposed to seating on some, on some pillows. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then Jesus said to him, Now then, you Pharisee, clean the, you Pharisee, clean the outside of the cup and dish. But the inside is full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for uh, what is inside of you, 
And here's his instructions. Be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. It seems like the tone of the conversation uh, rapidly increases in intensity. Uh, imagine the situation. Jesus is doing his, his, his teaching, his speaking. He's a rabbi. He's got a crowd around him. He's been known to do this before. Afterwards, a Pharisee comes up and says, hey, let's do dinner. Come on over to my house. Jesus lies down. The only thing that's said about the Pharisee is that he was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. After that, Jesus takes it upon himself to like skewer this Pharisee. Listen to what he says again. You Pharisee clean the outside. Let me have this, Let me have this cup here. You Pharisee clean the outside of this cup, but the inside is full of greed, wickedness. You foolish people. By the way, this word foolish is an intense one. It doesn't just mean like, you know, you, you crazy person or you, you act irrationally. No, no, it's very pointed. There's like a hundred proverbs about foolish people. Don't quote me on that, but it, you know, it's, it's a lot, right? So we know a lot about what Jesus, kinda, what Jesus means, the thrust behind the word. You're, you're foolish person. You're acting like a fool. What we know about this word that Jesus uses is that it has this, uh, th- this moral weight to it. You see, a fool isn't just somebody who, who, who's very ill-advised or who doesn't know very much, who acts irrationally. A fool is somebody who knows the difference between right and wrong. A fool knows the difference between not act along God's will or apart from God's will. And for the biblical purposes, a fool is somebody who time and time again chooses wrong, knows the difference, and chooses to run contrary to God's will. For a Pharisee, who's like a religion professor maybe, the worst insult that you could level against him would be calling him a fool. Somebody who is supposed to know, be an expert at the difference. Yeah, you know what the difference is. That's not your problem. Problem is, you consistently choose the wrong answer. The example that he uses, and I think why this, uh, this escalates in intensity um, so much, is that uh, this, the cup... By the way, we're in a series right now called um, Finding the Kosher Jesus. And, and what this is about is about rediscovering like who Jesus was in his Jewish sense. Because there's a number of passages in the scripture that describe uh, maybe like who Jesus was and the background that he was coming from. And, and when we dig into these, or when we don't dig into these rather, when we just open it up and kind of read it for ourselves, we wonder like what in the world is Jesus talking about? I've got no idea. Or it just sounds like, it doesn't make sense or it's like wildly offensive and we think there's, there's got to be a piece to this puzzle. There's got to be something that we don't quite understand. I think this is, is, is one of those uh, situations where Jesus is sitting in the home of a Pharisee who invited him over, so he's the guest, and he lies down at the table, just says that the Pharisee is surprised that you know, Jesus didn't watch. And Jesus like levels these insult after insult, coming up with a language that would hurt that Pharisee the most, that would call him out in the most direct kind of way. And you think, like, wait a second, did I miss something here? I mean, Jesus is supposed to be like full of grace and love and mercy and everything like that. How does he... Yes, 
we missed something here. What's going on is that the, the Pharisee invites Jesus over to his house, not just as a dinner guest, but the Pharisee invites Jesus over as a test. This is an exam. The Pharisee has a few questions that he wants answered from Jesus. And the way he gets those answers isn't to just ask him directly, it's to see what he does. There were two camps, two big camps of Pharisees in those times. There was the, the Hillelites who were following the Rabbi Hillel. And there was the Shammaiites who were following the Rabbi Shammai. And there was these two opposite ends of the spectrum of, of Pharisees. And they did things differently. One of the things differently was it was how they fulfilled the, the rites, the rituals um, that were asked of the people to do, how they filled out God's word. Now, in the Jewish mindset, you, you don't have this sense of like, like, well, this is my spiritual life, this is my Christian life, and maybe this is my business life, and then this is my maybe like personal life, and then this is my family life, and these are my, my hobbies. You don't have all the like the splitting up of the pie. And the Jewish consciousness or in the Jewish mind, like everything is sacred, everything is, is lived before God. It's one of the things that made them unique. So in the Old Testament, you have the, the temple sacrifices where the priests would go up and they would offer an animal on the altar as a sacrifice, as, as God providing the remission of sins, the taking away of sins for his people. And then they would all eat afterward. As a, as a feast. Now, these sort of things are built into the custom. Now, it wasn't very long before the, the priests started respecting the time and the occasion that God, of God providing, and they would, like, clean their hands ceremoniously. They, they'd wash their hands, and then they'd wash the utensils that they were using to prepare that dish and, and to serve that dish, all out of a sign that since God is here, this stuff, this world, this creation, you and I, we all matter to him. We're all very close to God's heart. And this creation of his is very close to God's heart. Well, pretty soon the people saw that this was important maybe for the, for the priest who's, who's uh, offering the sacrifice for the people. Well, it didn't take very long before the good Jewish people, the, the Pharisees, the people who, who actually, they get a bad rap, they actually did want to follow through and make good on, on God's will and to follow him as closely as, as they possibly could. And so the Pharisees say, hey, one way that we can do that is to not simply just allow this to happen at the temple on the feast days, but every time a meal is offered, every time God is providing for us on the table, We'll follow through on those same rituals. We'll wash hands. We'll wash the, the utensils in a very specific way. Now, this was meant to be a, a, a simple and beautiful, while also being kind of a mysterious act of this washing, of the recognizing that the, that the sacred is among us. But when the people start to do this in their homes, and they start asking, well, how should we do it? And the answers start pouring in. And there's the, uh, the house or the followers of Hillel and there's the house of Shammai who, who are trying to answer this and their answers aren't the same. The beauty, the mystery, the simplicity of the whole thing is completely lost as they're arguing with each other about, no, 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 this is how I think it should be done. No, no, this is how I think it should be done. And they gather around the table and the question that the Pharisee wants to know is when he serves the meal, which starts off, a formal Jewish meal starts off with serving of wine and then bread. When he serves the meal, is he going to identify himself as a, as a follower of Hillel? In which case, he would wash 
the inside of the cup. They'd serve the wine. He'd drink the wine. And then when it came time to serve the bread course, he'd wash his hands and eat the bread. This is how the school of Hillel said it was done. The school of Shammai said, no, no, no. See, see, the problem with that is when you wash the inside of the cup, yes, it's easier, but, and then when you drink it, you, you wash your hands and then the bread. The, the problem is, what if you touch your cup again? Then your hand is unclean. And then you eat the bread, or you touch the bread, and the bread is unclean. And then you, you eat the bread. Then all of you is unclean. How disrespectful is that? So no, no, no. What you're supposed to do, the Shemites said, was wash your hands, wash the inside of the cup, and here's the critical distinction, wash the outside as well. So if you were to boil this whole thing down to just one simple difference, the Shemites said, you have to wash the outside. And they were very concerned the distinction that they had, the, the difference that the Shemite Pharisees had over everybody else is they washed the outside of the cup. So concerned with washing the outside of the cup. What the Pharisee wants to know is, are you, Jesus, a Hillite or a Shemite? And then when, when Jesus sits down, he doesn't wash. He doesn't wash his hands. He doesn't wash the inside of the cup. He doesn't wash the outside of the cup. He just pours himself some wine, drinks it, reaches over for a loaf of bread. The Pharisee who invited him over, you know, I just imagine him like staring, (laughs) slack-jawed, right? What? We've never seen anybody do this before. How how do you call yourself a rabbi? And we don't know if they like spoke up or if they just stared. But Jesus knew where they were coming from. And he says, the cup. You, and he identifies them as a Shamite Pharisee, you are so concerned with washing the outside of the cup. I've been watching you. I've been watching how you act. I know what you are on the outside. Here's the thing. I know who you are on the inside as well. And he says, you foolish people, you know right and wrong, and you consistently choose wrong. And now, let me pour out the contents of the inside of this cup. In verse 39, he goes, this cup, by the way, outside looking great, inside it's full of greed and wickedness. That's what you've got in here. Tell you about these words. It's, it's sort of a, a compound, kind of like double, double hit here. 
Greed is this insatiable need to have more and more and more. This is never content. Now, it could be with money and finances. It could be with influence. It could be with power. It could be with sex. It could be with, with anything. But it's needing to have more and more and more and more all the time. Wickedness, in the language, it has this sort of idea about being stuck, about being entangled, about being trapped in this. So he's like, you're, you're stuck in this insatiable need to have more. That's that's who you are. That's what's inside the cup. Question for us this morning. If you invite Jesus over to your house, if you were to take a cup and say it's got two sides, you know. The cup has an inside and the cup has an outside. And you are great at maintaining the cleanliness, the appearance of the outside. And if Jesus was to pour out his, the inside of your cup, what would be there? In another passage, in another gospel, in Matthew, uh, uh, Matthew was a disciple of Jesus who was uh, also presumably in the room at the time that this was happening. He tells the story and he says, you know, Jesus says, He had one more line that Luke, uh, for whatever reason, didn't write down. But Jesus also said, he called the Pharisees, you hypocrites. And then he quotes Isaiah 25, which says, they praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Another Another punch by Jesus, this word hypocrite. It comes, it's a mashup of two words, uh, upo and krite. It, It means to literally under judge or to, to maybe underestimate, but also maybe to misrepresent, to, to fool, to deceive, to be a phony hypocrite or liar. And more specifically like that, it was used in, in Greek plays, like the tragedies you maybe read in high school or college. It, it was used as, a, as an actor in the play who would literally wear a mask, and he was called the hypocrite, the hypocrite. And, and throughout the play, he would, he would wear this mask and he would pretend to be some person. And, and of course, the actors knew it, it was the point of the play. But, but the characters that he was playing with, they would, they would, of course, not know it. And then in the dramatic turn at the end, he would remove the mask and show exactly who he was, the hypocrite, all along. What was behind the mask was not what he represented to everybody. And he says, two sides, you know. There's an outside and there's an inside. The question that I think we could, we could wrestle with all week long is what's inside my cup? What is it that I don't want anybody else to ever see? What is it that, that I don't want poured out? We'll take it even a step further, I think. In Jesus' diagnosis, I said he was going to call us out. I think he's calling us out. I said he's going to offer a solution. His solution comes in the last verse in that line, which says, But now, as for what is inside of you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. It's funny how he calls them out and he calls them greedy. 
Actually, he says they're stuck in their insatiable desire to have more and more and more all the time. In the day and age, in the culture, there are people all around, most people, in fact, who are starving from not having enough. And the Pharisees were supposed to be the religious, the spiritual leaders of the time. And yet they, they had this insatiable desire to have more and more and more. And where did they get it? They get it by telling the people, I need it. You need to give it to me. And it never stopped. Jesus identifies what's inside their cup and offers a solution. Pour the greed out. If that's what's inside of you, if you're kind of like identifying with the Pharisees in the story and says, mm, that's me. I, that insatiable desire to have more and more and more, maybe Jesus is asking me to, to get rid of it. Give it to the poor. And a weird thing happens, as Jesus says, a weird thing happens that as you empty your cup, it gets cleaner and, and cleaner until the inside matches the outside. How do we do that? How do we even know what the, what's inside our cups? Because I'll just have a moment of honesty with you. I, I am struck with my own remarkable ability to wear the hypocrite's mask. I am struck with, with the uncanny and fathomable skill that I have to demonstrate to so many people that I really have it together. In fact, maybe you can identify with it. I feel like I'm so good at this. I can even fool myself. <laughs> I can convince myself that the inside of the cup matches the outside. And so, and so I'm, I'm good. You, you guys are the, are the messed up one. You need church. It's good you're here. No. How can we possibly figure out and, and remedy the, the, the grime, the soot, the nastiness inside the cup when, when we, don't even, we don't even see it. Two ways, and this is the hard part. Extremely difficult. It, it's going to take a lot of courage. Two ways. Hard, but I think worth it. The first one is, is in a Christian community. You see, what this time that we have together on Sunday morning, what this time is so great at, it is showing up, and, and, we, and we put a lot of time and energy, we put a lot of effort in taking a few hundred people's attention and, and focusing it on God and truth and what matters for, for 60 minutes each week. And that's worth it. Don't get me wrong. I love that about church. I love that about encounters specifically. And there's no way that we're ever going to use that. But what this time is really, really good at is passing along knowledge, insight. What this time is really, really good at, even at its best, might be passing along truth, God's truth about who he is, about what our lives are all about. But if I'm honest, this time really, really stinks at growing us spiritually. This time is is not great at transforming us from the inside out. And so I, I, just, I just urge us as a community to not sell ourselves short. It's to not say, no, I feel like I'm growing. And just ask, am I just learning more and more, more about God? 
or am I actually being changed? And one of the things about, about change is that it tends to happen in community, in clusters of other people, small groups of people. Here at Encounter, we call those uh, kitchen groups because we have this like, vision and mission that Pastor Brian mentioned already about you know, the foyer where we meet people, invite them to church, living room Sunday morning, and then where like, real life happens is in the kitchen, is in this small group kind of setting, is where we're working alongside each other. Maybe there's a little table in your kitchen where, where it's more informal meetings, where, 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 where really like, life happens together. Jesus did this with his disciples. And he had crowds around him all the time, but he, he picks out 12 people, 12 guys, and say, you can follow me along, because I want to show you how to, how to really accept somebody who's totally different than you are and, and be gracious to them, but also to be truth to them at the same time. And, and there's no way that I could just teach you that. I want you to see it firsthand. Come on and follow after me because I want to show you how to, how to grieve the loss of a loved one well. Follow after me because, because at some point you're going to have to deal with unemployment or underemployment and it is going to be the hardest thing you've ever had to do. So let's do it together. Follow after me because there's going to be conflicts in this group and there's going to be just fights and I want to learn I want to learn how to fight well, graciously, without getting hurt physically. (laughs) It's that important. In in some, this is important because we learn how to grow old in grace well. It's how we change. In this group, where we can at some point in time be so utterly transparent, and accountable, that somebody can call you out and say, listen, I'm going to tell you something about what's inside of your cup. And I'm going to tell it to you because I I hope and pray that you're going to do the same for me. Because I I don't want to miss out on this this radical life with God. There's this uh, this awesome quote about how we kind of contribute to uh, to community from a book by Max Licato on the screen behind me from his book, uh, Fearless. It says, questions can be made, questions can make hermits out of us, driving us into hiding. I love this. Yet the cave hiding has no answers. Christ distributes distributes, uh, courage through community. He disciples doubts through fellowship, or he dissipates doubts through fellowship. I better read this one. He never deposits all knowledge in one person, but distributes pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to many. When you interlock your understanding with mine and we share our discoveries, when we mix, mingle, confess, and pray, Christ speaks. And I would add, we are changed. The objection or the thing of it is, my jigsaw puzzle isn't very good. I don't have much to offer. I mean, we want to talk about like unemployment or underemployment. You might be saying, listen, man, I have lost more money than most people in the room are ever going to earn. <laughs> I know nothing about this. Yes, you do. You are an expert in this with real-world experience that it would be wrong not to share. You're wondering, man, I don't, I don't know if I could ever like, offer somebody encouragement or, or wisdom in parenting because 
Listen, I don't even know how my kids are, are turning out. Listen, friend, you have a PhD in this stuff. Don't put a cap on that. Don't, do not bury that. Your puzzle piece is critical to the whole. That's my pitch for, uh, for kitchen groups. This is how we learn. This is how we grow. This is how we transform. Critically important. The other piece. The other piece maybe even more so. The other piece is daily going before God and pouring it out. Now I said earlier, and maybe you could relate, that, that I have this remarkable ability to trick myself into thinking that I'm better than I am. But that doesn't take away from the fact that, that something odd happens when I take whatever's in this cup and I start pouring it out. And, and the thing about it is, it's this ancient practice, this ancient ritual called confession. And I'm not just talking about like reading through something on a page, but actually going before God, you and him, and whispering it or, or saying it out loud, letting the words be verbalized. This is how I've screwed up, fallen short, or just failed in some way, shape, or form. The, the thing about it is, the first time that you sit down, the first time you start to pray, you're like, okay, confession time. I know that I'm supposed to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean this cup out from the inside. God... In seventh grade, I cheated off from Susie's test. (laughs) Got it out. Good. It's ridiculous. The stuff that we pour out, like the first couple times that we start doing this. It's so small. It's so insignificant. And we're almost like tempted to to like give up there. And say, I don't know, maybe that's all that is. I don't don't feel all that different. I I don't feel like this is cleaned out. I, don't, I actually don't even feel like there's much in here because I have a hard time doing it. But like a muscle, like strength training, like any kind of an endurance challenge, you start to get a little better at it and a little better at it. And so eventually, it's almost like confessing in real time. Like as the conversation with somebody else is going and something slips out that, that maybe you, you wish you could like grab it and, and stuff it back in, you're like, man, that was not right. Hey, this just happened and you have to know I'm sorry. And it's like, where did that come from? It, it's like, it's ongoing in real time. Like, what? This fuse is, is so short right now. Listen, I, I don't know what this is about, but this is, this is not the person that I want to be. This is not the follower of Christ that I want to be. I, where did that anger come from? I went from a two to a 10, just like that, totally uncalled from. The thing about this daily confession to God is that we get better and better and better at it. I'm not just saying this so that you'll leave and start confessing things and start to dig up all of this this grime and soot on the inside of your cup and simply be discouraged all the time. I'm saying this, I'm sharing this because I don't want you to miss out. Because there, I firmly believe there is no other relationship that you can have. There's no other place that you can go than going before God and pouring out just the nastiest, the filthiest, the worst soot and dirt and uncleanliness inside of this cup and pouring it out and saying, this is me. And there's no other place that you can go where you can pour that out and be loved to death. Don't miss it. 
Everybody just stand up and, and let's pray together. Our gracious God, um, we so desperately need help with this this week. God, whether it's uh, confessing uh, our sins, our shortcoming, our faults to each other in a close community of people we trust and who trust us, or it's maybe even for the first time whispering those words out loud that, that maybe we don't have it all together. Maybe the inside and the outside is a mismatch. By your Holy Spirit, give us the words to say. And and if we mess up, if we say the wrong thing, even if we can't think of anything at all, and there's just silence, Holy Spirit, perfect the thoughts. Tune the words. Sanctify them to, to be exactly, Lord, how they ought to be. And thank you for your Son to wash it all away. It's in your name we pray. Amen.